Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. This is Connor Beaton, and today on the midweek mini episode, it's going to be a little bit longer than normal. Uh, recently, I was interviewed on a great podcast, and uh, the interviewee, Matt, asked a great question about why is it lonely at the top, and why do we <laughs> why do we buy into that narrative? So I kind of go off on a little bit of a, of a really important conversation. Uh, and a little bit of a rant talking about why it's not lonely at the top. Why it doesn't have to be like that and why that's actually an unhealthy narrative and how we can start to shift that narratives for ourselves as people that are all driving towards some version of success and fulfillment. And uh, so I wanted to bring this to you today because it's a really important conversation and uh, I've talked about it a little bit before on Instagram, but this was just a really great dialogue that summarizes it all up. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, let me know if this landed for you. Don't forget to share uh, on whatever platform that you listen to on and uh, rate and, and review and subscribe. So thanks so much, team, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Welcome to the Goal Achievement Podcast, Connor. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Awesome. I was just I mentioned this in the pre-roll, but I've been like taking in so much of your content lately. I can't wait to dive in. So I, I gotta kick the show off by saying congrats on your recent marriage. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh let's see, about like two and a half, well, three weeks ago now. Yeah, it's still going it's still going swimmingly, I I, yeah. I would assume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I made the uh I made the blessing and the curse of of marrying a, a marriage and family therapist. So we are all about relationships in our home and uh, having exceptional relationships. And uh, I figured, what's the best way to level up? Well, it's to it's to marry someone who's not going to let you get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, but it's uh, it's been amazing so far. And uh, we didn't take a honeymoon yet. That's going to happen okay. in November. Yeah. Um, but yeah, things are amazing. Oh, are, do you mind sharing where you're going to honeymoon? Yeah, no problem. So we're actually going to head out to Patagonia. Um, oh, wow. I, right yeah, I've, I'm cool. a big... Yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's not like a normal traditional place that most people would go on their honeymoon. You know, most people go to like the beach and and whatnot. But um, I'm a big hiker. I love the mountains. And uh, in Patagonia, there's a really incredible mountain range called Torres del Pine, and it's one of the best places to go hiking. And there's some really cool um, locations around there to stay. And we happened to find one that we both absolutely loved. And so we're going to go there for seven days. And then, um, the second part of the trip will probably be, uh, heading off to one of the islands on South America or, you know, go over to, uh, Chile where we're, we're undecided on the second part of the, of okay. the honeymoon. that's awesome, yeah. man. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. I don't, that's amazing. Very cool. And like I said, congrats. So I've been married for, I just celebrated, Rachel and I just celebrated our 10th anniversary. And uh, I can say marriage is like the greatest thing ever. I just, it's been amazing. And, and uh, hopefully you can, you have an amazing experience. So it's, uh, yeah. it is an amazing thing. So wonderful well congrats yeah yeah, yeah. 10 oh, years yeah. 10 years is no is no joke that's yeah, a good accomplishment 10 years is now we got it we need to like get serious because we always thought you know we'd probably have kids and we've just freaking had a blast for 10 years and um 
So I just turned 40 and we just celebrated 10 years and I'm like, man, I got to get my act together. And if we're going to, or, or I guess we just continue to have a blast and then don't worry about it. But yeah, it's uh yeah, it's, that's, that's the only, only drawback is you have to start weighing like, I don't know. It's, uh, you have to start weighing kind of amazing option options. Cause you're going to enjoy just being married and like no kids. And then you, ha- but you, you know, I'm, I've, I've heard in your podcast, you mentioned kids. So that's why I say that like that balancing act is, is interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And it's, and it, and it definitely is, uh, you know, it's like, how do we, I hear a lot of couples going through this because statistically, the couples and people in general are waiting until later and later in life to actually have kids. And so 50 years ago, the average age I think was like 23 or 24. And the, the average age has now spiked up to like 31, I believe. And so more and more people are waiting until later in life. And I think for most of them, it's because of that exact thing. It's like, look, I'm really having fun or I don't feel prepared at all, (laughs) which is like, that was my case. I was like, I don't, I don't feel prepared at all for this. Um, which I don't think most people do. Um, and, and so people just, you know, they hold off until they feel a little bit more established or they can go and do the traveling. And I think it's, it's an interesting question of how we, you know, Vienna and I have always talked about how do we integrate the fun of, of, you know, not parenting, not being parents into the life of when we do have kids. And I think that that's a, that's a healthy mission that we're going to undertake. Yes, so hopefully awesome. others have, have undertaken that mission. I definitely have some friends that have done it very gracefully. So yeah, yeah, no, no doubt it can be done. Yeah. So, so I'm dying to, I'm dying to pick your brain on this. So I've listened to you mention a few times, um, in different, in kind of different podcast recordings and your TEDx, but you've said that, um, you hate the phrase that it's lonely at the top. Mm. Um, I, I can attribute that to you, that that rings a bell. I'm not totally catching you off guard, am I? No, not at all. So why uh, why do you hate that phrase? Why do you hate the phrase, it's lonely at the top? Uh, you know, anytime that we have these these types of sayings, they create a belief structure within our minds conceptually. And so when people hear that, they often buy into it. And what that does is it tells people that in order to be successful, they have to accept loneliness, that in order to reach the top of whatever success looks like for them, whether it's financially in their career and the business that they build in their you know health and fitness, uh, if they want to run marathons and whatnot, what that tells them is that, hey, in order for you to get there, what you have to sacrifice is human connection and love and community. And, and that when you reach the top, <laughs> this is the most screwed up part for me. The the part of that messaging that's the that's the most uh, harsh is that is that what it tells people is that when you reach the top, you are inevitably going to be missing something, and that something that you're going to be missing is human connection. And what we know, the science of of what creates healthy long term lives. There's a great study out of Harvard recently that was done over 75 years and it followed people around and over the course of those 75 years what they were trying to find out is what's the most important thing for happy healthy long relation uh, not not long relationships but long life and the majority of the candidates they followed were actually men 
And so what they did was a, a two-part study. Some of, the, some of the men were from Harvard and some of the men were from the surrounding area. And they followed them and their families over the course of 75 years. And this study is still going on, by the way. But after 75 years, what they found was the greatest, the single greatest predictor of happiness, of long-term life, of a decrease in, uh, in heart issues, in cancers, in high blood pressures, uh, in depression, in anxiety, the number one predictor of a happy, healthy life was our relationships, was the quality of our relationships. And so as A-type people, as very success-driven and goal-oriented people, what, what we often do is we say, okay, well, it's gonna be lonely at the top, so I better start sacrificing that now. And the, the challenge is that so many people get stuck in this belief system that doesn't work, and they get to achieving their goals, right? Maybe they set the goal of starting a company that reaches seven figures, and they start the company, and it takes them five years, and they finally reach the seven-figure mark, and they get to what they would consider as the top, and they get there, and they're like, wow, it really is lonely at the top, because they bought into that before they even started the journey. And then, and then what do they do? Well, they perpetuate that same notion, and we know that this is unhealthy. We know that this uh, notion, that this belief, that this sort of phrase is unhealthy. And I have been a huge advocate. I don't even know if that's the right word, but um, I really have spoken out against it because I think it's bullshit. And I think that we can change that and say, you know, who do I want to bring with me to the top? When I am standing on my Everest in my life, who do I want to be standing next to me? Because even with that analogy of climbing Everest, you can't do it alone. You legitimately can't. There are people that go with you, even if it's a Sherpa or a guide. There are there are people that have to rise with you to the top. And so I'm so I guess I'm very passionate about that because I I have seen far too many people reach the top, have their version of success, reach their their sort of Everest, and feel like shit and fall very quickly from the top of their mountain because there's no one there supporting them. So it's lonely at the top's kind of a, you know, kind of a cliche saying, you know, that's been around forever. Did you just think of that saying one day and you're just like, that's bullshit. And you just like, when, when was this dawning? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was actually in my, um, in my previous career. So in my twenties, uh, I actually went and got a degree in music and in opera performance. And I was an opera singer for a few years. And I remember we had one of the one of the, like the most famous uh, famous American uh, classical singers come in and lead a workshop, and they they said this. They said it's lonely at the top. And at the time, I bought into it, and you know I started to go through my career and and travel around the world, and and that thought had always stuck with me. And when I left that career and you know spent two and a half years doing self development and studying psychology and studying. Jungian psychology and positive psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy, I started to see that 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 narrative, that story that we tell ourselves is so detrimental to people's well-being in the in the long term. And so later on in life, I, you know, when I started leading workshops and coaching people, um, I heard this saying again of it's lonely at the top. 
And I was, I remember I was at a conference probably about three or four years back and somebody said that. And in the VIP dinner, I was sitting there and I, I just, I couldn't listen to it. And I actually spoke out against their person. I was like, no, that's such garbage. Like that's a belief that you bought into and it's bullshit. And it's, it's one of the reasons, one of the things that it's inevitably going to hold you back. Yeah. And I said, if you are in this room and there was a room of like 300 entrepreneurs, I said, if you are in this room, just know that it's lonely at the top is a conscious freaking choice and it doesn't have to be and we have to stop perpetuating these unhealthy narratives as entrepreneurs and as professionals that you have to be alone to be successful it's garbage it's unhealthy and it's perpetuated by people that maybe sacrificed too much or sacrificed what they didn't want to sacrifice in order to have success mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how do you think um, I mean, they're just spitballing here. So how do you think like high performers can ensure that, you know, it's not lonely at the top once they get there? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So one of the things that we can start to look at is building our own team and, you know, executives, athletes. Uh, a, a lot of people have to, they're sort of forced into this place of building their teams. The, the challenge is that most of us spend the majority of our time building our teams within our business or building our sports team or building, you know, the, the team of our family. And what we what we really can start to do is shift our attention of how do I build my own personal board of directors, the people that I can surround myself with? Like I just led a workshop in uh, D.C., in Washington, D.C., for a group of entrepreneurs. And one of the things that we talked about, you know, we've all heard the saying, you are the total sum of the five people that you spend uh, the most time with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The challenge is that most people don't actually optimize or, or, or sort of maximize the potential of the five people that they spend the most time with. They're not very intentional about it. And so what we can start to do is say, okay, how do I build my board of directors? How do I build my own personal team, the people, the, the three to five people that I am going to let give me relentless feedback? I'm going to let them support me. I'm going to let them love me. I'm going to let them be the cheerleaders in my corner and I'm going to commit wholeheartedly to doing the exact same thing for them because the the challenge is most of us say oh, it's I'm so busy that I don't have time to really support other people or I'm so busy I don't have time to really let other people support me and what we can do is we start to carve out specific time to join a group to you know create those types of connections with our life and to really be committed and intentional about building those types of relationships. And when we can do that, we start to shift the narrative so that mm -hmm. wherever we are on the journey, we're being intentional about saying, here are the three to five people that I'm going to trust implicitly with my life, with my relationships, with my mental and emotional health. When, when I am out of line, I'm gonna trust them to call me forward. And I'm going to trust them to be in my corner so that I don't have to feel shame for asking for help or support. I don't have to feel like I'm broken or that I'm failing because I need a little bit of a pick me up on a certain day when everything seems to be raining down upon me, right. you know, which which inevitably happens as high performers There's going to be days where it just all comes pouring in. Well, you know, it's funny because you know, so many times, like how often do you hear of people who like reach some, you know, out of this world goal, like, 
I don't know, climbing a huge mountain or selling their business for, you know, a huge exit or, or achieving a business goal in sales that, you know, they thought was a, you know, a huge goal or, you know, finishing a marathon or whatever it is. So they, they achieve their monster goal or what mm. they thought was a monster goal. And then, you know, it's like inevitable. The next reaction with like almost anyone, as long as they're a human is like, what now? Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't yeah. quite what it was all. And it's almost like lonely at the top is almost like, uh, could almost be as I like, am just staring at it on my computer screen. It's like lonely at the top's almost like, um, you know, be careful. It's almost more about the journey than it is about, you know, uh, you know, the final destination, because I don't know, is it, I don't know. Does that well, make any sense? Totally. It totally makes sense. And the, the challenge is, is that for many of us, it can be this narrative can become the deterrent from our own success. It can be the thing that subconsciously or unconsciously prevents us from truly chasing our dreams because the risk and reward doesn't equal out. Right. The, mm -hmm. the sacrifice and reward doesn't equal out. Mm -hmm. And this is the conflict that many people have when they look at uh, the the goals and the dreams that they actually have for themselves they look at them and they say okay i want to build this company i want to run this race i want to you know become this artist whatever it is and they start to pursue that and in the back of their mind is the chirping of when i get there what will i have had to sacrifice because success comes with a price tag and for many people, they don't want to look at the price they have to pay in order to have that success. And the, the reality is, is that we need to come to terms with the price that we're willing to pay. And for many people, because they believe, because we've sort of been indoctrinated from the old, you know, the old guard, the old generation, um, that, that it's lonely at the top, that plays in our script, that plays in our mind. And so when we start to look forward to our goal, to that, you know, Everest moment, we start to believe that, okay, I'm going to have to pay the price of getting there and being alone. But I have all of these great people in my life and I don't want to leave them behind, right? I have these great friends who I love spending time with and I don't want to sacrifice that. And so we have to be able to intentionally design our trajectory and our Everest. And we have to be able to say who's going to be our Sherpa, who's going to be on this trek with me? Who, who do I want to actually take with me to the top to, you know, to push them and have them push me? And I, I think the other the other important piece about this is that when we and if we get to the top and, and I just want to say that, like, so many of the people that come and work with me are people who have rode this, rode this train and, and, and believed in this belief in some capacity mm -hmm. and they've had success and they've got to the top and for whatever reason, they're like, something's missing and I have no idea what it is, but I feel like there's this empty part in me. I've made the million dollars. I've built the, you know, hundred million dollar company. I've made the exit and, and now I feel like something's missing because it's not what I expected it to be or or once it's done, once they've reached their goal, there's this huge void that shows up of, well, now what? Now what? Right? People plan for the exit, but they don't plan for after the exit. And this is where, this is where our, our friends and our family and the five people that we spend the most time with are so absolutely freaking crucial. Because when you do make the exit, when you do reach the, the pinnacle of the mountain, 
if you are standing there by yourself and you start to descend the mountain, that's the loneliest part. That's the hardest part because now your identity that you've you know spent the last 10 years pouring into your company and building this incredible mission that you've now sold off and exited and you leave that, if you're not prepared for what's after the exit, that can create a huge amount of turmoil and and depression and anxiety and it can be a really challenging space. But if we are surrounded by people because we have – uh, by really great people because we have intentionally climbed that mountain and reached that goal, then the descent is a little bit easier because at least we have people there to pick us up sometimes and, and dust us off and say like, you're going to get through this and you're going to be okay. And it might suck right now, but you're going to find your next peak. You're going to find your next Everest and I'm going to be beside you the entire way. Yeah, no, I love that. That's great. No, that's, that's really good. Let me ask you, I've heard you talk a lot about kind of men craving freedom and that being something that, that they crave. Why, why is that? Why do you think men particularly crave freedom? That's yeah, a good question. So a big part of our natural desire when it comes to freedom is that there is some connection to our sense of purpose. Right. So when we have found a, a sense of purpose in life, it oftentimes comes with the sense of freedom. We, we usually feel up until that point like we are not free in some way. If we're not living with purpose, if we aren't aligned to our inherent values and our mission and we're not living authentically, we don't feel free. We feel caged and trapped and we feel stuck in other people's beliefs or what other people have wanted for our lives. And part of the freedom that we seek uh, as men or as part of the freedom that the masculine seeks within all of us is to really be able to create and order and structure our own lives. And the reason why we desire that is no one really not no one, but most people don't want other people to tell them what to do. And men especially. <laughs> men, for the large part especially, don't want people to tell them what to do. And so there's this huge, uh, there's this huge sort of rejection of having other people tell us what to do. Now here's the, here's the catch-22 of freedom, is that we can find freedom within the structure of order. And we can find freedom within the structure of commitment. And so oftentimes when a man is seeking freedom, you know, and he has bought the one-way ticket to Thailand and he's just traveling the world aimlessly and he's got this what externally would look like absolute freedom, right? No responsibility whatsoever, mm -hmm. no plans, no uh, no direction, nothing holding him down. That is usually where he that's usually where he feels almost the most lost because for many of us, we have to go on this journey to find freedom within order, within structure, within creativity. And so we, we crave that freedom naturally because it's a sign for us as men specifically that we have started to take our own destiny in some way, shape or form into our own hands. And it's a, it's a signpost that we have said, okay, I'm going to take my life 
into my own hands. I'm going to stop letting other people tell me exactly what I should be doing or how I should be doing it or where I should be living or how I should be living. And I'm going to start to figure out what it is that I actually want for myself and my life and my relationship. And when we do that, there is a resemblance of freedom. And and that's actually what we are craving. Behind the freedom that we are seeking as men is the desire to have our own direction and to not have our lives directed by other people. You think women also crave freedom? Yeah, I think I think women often crave freedom in a in a different way, and it's a bit of a generalization, but they definitely do. Um, it just shows up in in different ways, and we can see this, you know, largely in how. Uh, women have been socially um, cultured and, and indoctrinated and the values that we put on men versus women, women societally, right? So men are largely performance-based objects and there is a lot of pressure and a lot of emphasis that is put on men to perform, whether that's to perform in the boardroom or in the bedroom or you know, within what they do as a father or as a husband. But we put a lot of pressure on men, as men especially, to perform. And for women, culture and society has put a lot of pressure on them to conform to being beauty objects. And so there is a, a, a lot of conformity within the, the female world around having to conform to certain beauty norms. And so for a lot of women, part of the, part of the freedom that they often seek is internally the desire to move to a space of really being able to love themselves in a way where they can feel whole and connected and and they can let go of the societal beauty norms that are sort of pressed upon them by mainstream media and cultures and religions and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's the type of freedom that that they often seek is the is the ability to reach a place where they define their own beauty. They create their own beauty standards. And we can see this in the last few decades where there's this huge movement for women to reclaim their own versions of what beauty actually is and for them to define it, to not have men defining it for them, um, but for them to actually come to come to grips or come to the plate and say, here's how I define it and here's how here's what I think beauty actually is for me. And I find freedom in that. And so that's I think that's how it largely shows up for women. Um, it can definitely show up in other ways. And I'm not a woman, so I don't have all the answers of how that would show up. Um, but that's how I've seen it show up. And, and that's how my my wife has talked about freedom showing up for for her specifically.